Thank you for joining us for today's Practical Living broadcast, and I pray that through this message that you will learn how to apply God's Word and truths to any situation in your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. Well, we're going back to the series we've been involved in for several weeks now entitled Friends. We're continuing to talk about the relationships of our lives. Relationships are extremely important. Your marriage, your family, the friendships that you have, your work relationships that you experience, these are a vital part of your life experience. When your relationships are going well, your life tends to go well. When your relationships are not going so well, life can be very hard, very challenging, very difficult. So I want to talk this weekend and next weekend about the, what really I think is the essence of relationship, what makes relationships work and work well. We're going to talk about communication. And I want to sort of lay a bit of a foundation this weekend for the idea of communication. We did so weekend before last, and we're continuing in this theme together. And there are two basic truths that I want to share with you today. Now, by the way, uh, Nick kept us a little longer than normal last weekend, so I'm going to go a little shorter this weekend. Is that okay? Uh, So you'll get out a little earlier. Maybe you'll like me more than Nick if I do that, all right? Uh, But that uh, notwithstanding, let's dive into today's message. Here's the first thing that I want to share with you out of the two things for this weekend. Number one, we learn from Scripture and we learn from practical experience of life that the characteristics of our communication will determine the quality of our relationships. It's a long statement. Let me break it apart for you. The characteristics, that is what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it is. When you talk about the characteristics of something, it's the nature of it. When you look at it, this is what you see. When you listen to it, this is what you hear. So the characteristics of our communication, the way we communicate, what our communication looks like and sounds like is going to determine to a large degree what the quality of every relationship in your life. So if you're going to improve your relationships, what must you improve? Your communication. And this is extremely clear in Scripture. It's also clear, as I said a moment ago, just from practical life experience. So we're talking about how to actually do this. Let me give you a graph to show you sort of how relationships often work. And I'm going to use this red mark in the middle as being sort of the status quo of a relationship. Things are not really going necessarily bad nor good. And by the way, I'll mention this, no relationship will ever stay at status quo. It's either moving better or worse. So it's, you're never going to be static in a relationship. Every day of a relationship is different, and every day of a relationship you're moving toward health or dysfunction. Just You can't stay still in a relationship. And so in a relationship, you'll be always going in one of two directions. In the negative direction, you'll head toward killing the relationship. And there are a lot of relationships that we describe as being dead. The marriage is dead. We use that phrase at times. This friendship is dead. That is, something or events over time have killed the passion, killed the relationship. Now, by the way, let me quickly add, as believers in Jesus Christ, we know that no dead thing is, that's not the end of deadness because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The deadest marriage can come back to life through the power of Jesus. Amen? Okay. He is the resurrection and the life. But nevertheless, we can do things that kill or destroy our relationships. On the other, on the other hand, 
to this degree, from a positive standpoint, we can do things that create a vibrant, life-giving relationship. There's life in our interactions, life in our marriage, life in our family. So in any relationship, you're moving in one of these directions all the time. You're either killing it, it's dying, or you're working on it, it's improving and moving toward vibrancy or toward death. If a relationship is moving in this direction, you need to intervene and intervene quickly so that you do not allow it to gain negative momentum and completely be destroyed. If it is improving, you need to add momentum to the improving of the relationship so it continues to be vibrant. If it's a vibrant relationship, you need to work well to maintain it so that that health can be strong. Now, what makes the difference between death and vibrancy in a relationship? A variety of things, but there's one primary thing the Bible says will make the difference in death or life in a relationship, and that is your, your words. Look at Proverbs with me. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 21, the Bible says, what you say can mean life or death those who speak with care will be rewarded. So the Bible is very clear that your words are either taking your relationship toward death or taking your relationship toward life. And if you want to resurrect a dead relationship or a dying, resur- dying relationship, if you want to Im- continue to improve a relationship that's moving perhaps already in the right direction, the focus needs to be upon your words, or let's broaden it a bit, upon your communication. Because you improve the quality of your communication, that's going to affect the quality of your relationship. Now, I'm going to share with you eight words or eight terms today that will kill any relationship. The reason I'm giving you the negative is because if you understand the negative, then you'll then be able to apply the positive to it. So let's walk through quickly eight things. All I want to do today is to sort of prompt your thinking as I give you these phrases that that you'll think about your own relationships in life. The first thing that'll kill a relationship is coldness. You've gotten to the place where you've just shut down the relationship. There's almost no communication at all. And in fact, what you feel in those moments is the silent treatment. There's more silence than there is real interaction. And so there's a coldness. There's a sense of rejection and abandonment. And relationships can get to that point. That's when they're at a place of dying or perhaps even dead. Then there's disrespect and what we would call contemptuousness. That is, we show scorn toward the other person. In our communication, we are continually putting them down or using sarcasm and cutting remarks. And that's the characteristic of our interaction. Or a relationship can be very contentious. That is, there's a lot of fighting going on. There's more fighting than there is peace. And while there may be moments of peace, you know that a fight is about to break out at any moment. It's sort of like a hockey game. You know they're playing hockey now, but a fight's going to happen pretty soon here. Okay. And the same is true in a lot of marriages, that everything is just sort of sitting on edge because we know that a fight is about to happen soon because it happens all the time. There's contention, interaction that is negative, quick to argue. Arguments are part of the interaction relationship. And then blaming and shaming. 
where we get to that point that we're not accepting responsibility for our contribution to problems in the relationship and we're blaming the other person or shaming them. They should be doing better. He should be a better husband. She should be a better wife. He or she should be a better parent. And we shame people and blame people. And that all that does is add death to the relationship. It begins to kill and destroy our interactions. And then, of course, there is criticism and condescension, putting someone down, looking down on them, judgment that we have, that we hold toward other people. Oftentimes, there's this demanding behavior that occurs and demanding things out of another person that they're not able to give or willing to give at a moment. And so when that that demanding occurs, we begin to invade the boundaries that we talked about a few weeks ago. And anytime you're you're, you're operating out of a demanding attitude, you don't draw people to you, you actually push people away. The very opposite occurs out of a demanding spirit. Here's the next one I want to talk about just for a few moments. Mind reading. This is a big one. This is what we do to other people all the time. We think that we can read their mind. We know what we think we know what they're thinking. We think we know what they're feeling. We think we know what their motives are. And so we take what we think we know about them and we project it onto them without them having an opportunity to communicate what's really going on in their life. And so we form our opinions based upon what we determine in our own thinking really applies to them. And so that creates all kinds of problems. It creates barriers. We begin to build imaginations into our mind about other people, and it creates these walls that keep us uh, at a distance instead of connecting with one another. And then, of course, another one I'll mention here is a defensive attitude as you're living your life in a way that you're always defending yourself. And anytime you're living in a defensive mode, you're never learning, you're never growing, you're never developing in the way that God would want you to. You can never develop when you're defensive. So here's the thing I want you to see. All these are characteristics that affect the quality of your communication and the quality of your relationship. And so out of these eight that I just mentioned to you, how many of these are the pattern of your marriage, the pattern of your family? Which of these are characteristic of how you interact with other people? And if there are some of these that are characteristic of how you act toward other people, then you should not be surprised if your relationships are going in the wrong direction rather than the right direction. Now, I'm going to ask you a question that I want an answer from you from today. We're sort of in school. We're in a classroom together, so it's okay if you answer for me. And the question is simply this. As Christian believers, where should we get our information and our understanding of how relationships should work? Come on, say it together with me. Where? The Bible. Okay, so we're Christian believers we believe this is the Word of God. Do we not believe this is the Word of God? Amen? Okay. This is the Bible. This is our instruction manual for life. And so we've already seen the way to kill a relationship. So let's find out what the Bible says about how to bring life to a relationship. So let's walk through several scriptures together. Here we see in Proverbs 15, verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So the scripture says that in our interactions with other people, there needs to be gentleness rather than harshness. This is the instruction of the Bible. Take a look now at Proverbs 15, 4. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse or a twisted tongue crushes the spirit. So our words need to be gentle. Our words need to be, what's this word? 
soothing. You know the difference between something that is soothing and something that is caustic or something that causes irritation that crushes another person. We find again here in the book of Proverbs chapter 10, verse 21, the lips of the righteous. What's the next word here? Nourish many, but fools die for a lack of sense. So we've talked about gentleness. We've talked about being soothing. This verse speaks about being nourishing and the way that we speak to one another. Proverbs chapter 12 gives us, gives us another appropriate characteristic. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings what? healing. So there's another key word. All of us have been on the, on the receiving end of someone who cut us up with their words as though they pulled out a knife out of their pocket or a machete or a sword and they just cut us to pieces and left us bleeding. That's what a lot of words will do. But the Bible says that instead of speaking reckless words that cut people to pieces, we're to speak words that actually mend broken places that actually bring about healing. Let's now go to the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 4 and see what this scripture says. We're going to break this one apart. Do not let, what's the next word here? Any unwholesome talk. One translation says corrupt talk or corrupt communication. Words that eat away, corrupt, corrode. Do not let any corrupt or unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. So who's responsible for what comes out of your mouth? You and I are responsible for our own mouths, okay? But what's the next word here? Only what is helpful for tearing others down. So what it says? No. For building others up according to our needs. Is that what it says? No. According to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Let's look at this. This is a key verse of Scripture. This one passage of Scripture will change, can change every relationship in your life. If you make the decision not to let, to put a gate on your mouth, to not let any corrupt, unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, your mouth, if you make that decision, but only. Now, by the way, what does the word only mean? The last time I checked, the word only means only. This is the only thing that you're allowed to speak. The only words, the only kind of words, the only characteristics of the words that you're allowed to speak according to scripture, but only what is helpful. So the end result is building others up according not to your needs, but you're paying attention now to their needs according to their needs that it may actually benefit those who listen. So what this is describing is a set of characteristics of how you and I need to communicate with others. So remember this, first point today, the characteristics of your communication will determine the quality of your relationships. What does your communication look like? What does your communication with other people sound like? What are the characteristics of your communication? Because that will determine the quality of your relationships. You improve the characteristics of your communication. What will you also improve? The quality of your relationships. Let's go to the second point today. I told you there's only two points. This point will have three subpoints under it. But let's look at the second point. Read it with me. Improving relationships requires improved personal skills. 
So if you're going to change the characteristics of your communication so you improve the quality of your relationships, you got to know how to do it. Okay. You got to have some skill to do this because this doesn't come naturally to any of us. Now, the key word here is skills. It's one of the key words. What is a skill? A skill is a learned competency or a learned capacity. We have in this room today in our Frederick campus, those watching online, we have all kind of different professions and occupations here. Some of you are, are specialists in what you do. And the reason you're a specialist in what you do or you have a particular capacity, a particular talent in something is because you developed that skill. You went to school and you learned about how to do this. You perhaps studied under a mentor somewhere. You took training classes. And so you didn't originally have the skill, but you developed the skill based upon investment. You gain wisdom and knowledge and the application of that wisdom and knowledge. And now you have a skill. You possess a skill. Now, this is true for communication. No one is born into the world with good communication skills. No one. Put two little children in a room together. It'll just be a matter of time before they're arguing. And one is taking a toy from the other. And then one of them hits the other because they want the toy back. And before long, you've got this conflagration happening with two-year-olds in a room together. Why? They don't know how to communicate. So mom and dad have to teach them things like sharing and say please and thank you. And no, we don't hit whenever we're angry about, about something. And you teach them these interpersonal skills. Why? Because they come into the world as sinners, just like all of us with, with the only thing on their mind is themselves. That's why you hear words from a two-year-old like, I I, 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 me, me, mine. This, this is what the world that they live in. And sadly, there are a lot of 50 and 60-year-olds that are still living in that world, okay? They've just gotten a bit more sophisticated in the way that they go about it, okay? But we haven't grown up yet. We're still living because we haven't developed the skills that we need. Now, to develop skills, the development of skills starts with knowledge. Think about in your profession. You had to get some knowledge before you developed your skills, it requires wisdom. Wisdom is the application of that knowledge. Now look at what the Bible says about wisdom and knowledge. <clears throat> Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. Ability to apply that knowledge, that wisdom. If, that's a key word here, it's conditional. If you prize, What? Wisdom. She, now she is used there as a female personification of wisdom. She, wisdom, will make you great. She will, that's a promise. She will make you great. Embrace her, embrace what? Wisdom. And she will honor you. She will place a lovely wreath on your head. She will present you with a beautiful crown. Let's stop there for a moment. This is very important. The Bible says if you'll get wisdom, it's the wisest thing that you'll ever do in your life, getting wisdom. 
And whatever you do, develop good judgment, the ability to apply this in every realm of life. And this includes in your relationships. So the wiser you are in your relationships, the better life is going to be. If you get wisdom, she will do some things for you. She'll make you great. She will honor you. She will place a lovely wreath on your head that speaks of the crown that was presented to athletes when they won a contest. She will present you with a beautiful crown. So we need this wisdom in our life. So today I'm going to talk to you about three kinds of wisdom that you need if you're going to communicate well and if you're going to change the characteristic of your communication. We're going to talk more about this next weekend, so you don't want to miss this as all this kind of flows together. But let's look at three things today. Are you ready for these three types of wisdom, these three skills that you need? Are you ready for that? I'm not going to move on until everybody says yes, okay? Are you ready for this? All right, good. That was about half of you. That's great, okay. You need the skill of self-awareness if you're going to improve your communication. It's a skill that you have to develop. It's not just something that just sort of happens to certain people. You have to develop it. Develop the ability to see you. Here's the deal. Most of us, are, we have 2020, maybe 2015, capacity to see the problems in other people. Or we have no problem seeing somebody else's issue. We see it clear. Don't even need our glasses. Okay. Right? We can pick out all the issues going on with someone else. The challenge is, while we are 20-20 and looking at others, we are almost totally blind when it comes to seeing ourselves. It's just a truth. And so if we're going to become better in our relationships, we have to get better at seeing ourselves. We have to match this. We have to become 20-20 and seeing what's going on with us. Because self-awareness is the ability to clearly see, to objectively see yourself and to realize what's going on with you rather than what's going on with someone else. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but I want to bring it back to our attention again because this is vital in a relationship. And you do this through reflection and you do it through introspection. You do it through feedback in your life. You do it through the Holy Spirit helping you through self-examination, praying prayers like the psalmist prayed in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and show me my ways. If there be any wicked way in me, reveal that to me. And so you open your heart to God because all of us here, and I've said this before, but I need to say it again because this is where we live in our life. All of us have stuff going on inside of us. All of us have baggage that we bring into every relationship with us. And so often what's happening in our relationship is we're seeing the other person through our own baggage. That's a great place for an amen right there, okay? We are looking at the other person through our own baggage, and we're defining them through the baggage in our own life because we don't see our own baggage. We haven't dealt with our own issues, our own problems, and so we're forming judgments, and we're we're mind-reading, and we're judging other people without realizing that it's really something going on inside of us. And one of the greatest gifts that you'll ever develop and skills you'll ever develop in your life is the ability to step back for a moment and say, God, what's going on with me? And let me figure out, would you help me to understand what's really happening with me? Let me see me 
so that as, as I see me, I can take me to you and you can work on me so that I can be the better person because I can't control you, the other person, but I can work on me. And if I'll let you work on me, then I can bring something better. I can at least offload the baggage of my life. Let me tell you, Jesus wants to free you from your baggage. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> but he can't free you from your baggage if you are blind to it. Okay. I'm going to give you a verse of scripture, and initially when I read this verse, you're going to say, what does that have to do with self-awareness? I'm going to show you what it has to do with self-awareness. Here it is. Proverbs 29, 22. An angry person starts fights. Say it with me. An angry person starts fights. A hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sins. Now, there's a lot here that we could talk about. I'm just going to focus on the first part of this for today. What does an angry person do? Why do they start fights? It's not a trick question, okay? Because they are an angry person, okay? That's all I want you to see right there. They start fights not because they love fights. They start fights because they have something in them that they carry around with them everywhere they go. And if you carry anger around inside of you, don't be surprised if you're creating fights all the time. Because it's not about the other person. It's about what you're carrying around inside of you. And so to free you from all the contention and arguments and fighting that often goes on in relationships, where do you start? You don't start with the other person. You start with cleaning out the anger where? In your own heart. Because if you're no longer an angry person it's less likely that you're going to be starting as many fights around you. And so it all begins with what's going on inside of you and me. So self-awareness is, is something that not very many people talk about, but it's a vital part of us growing in our relationship skills. And it's something you never fully arrive at. You have to pursue this for your entire life. Because not only do you need to offload baggage, but here's the problem. While you're offloading baggage, because we live in a broken world, you're accumulating baggage at the same time, okay? Because you're dealing with people and you're dealing with stuff, so you're trying to offload stuff, and then you got other bags that are starting to attach themselves to you, and so it's never, you never cease this process. It's an ongoing process in your life, but it's vital to relationships, okay? So this is key. So what's the first wisdom that you need? Self-awareness, if you're going to improve the quality of your communication or characteristics of your communication, quality of your relationship, self-awareness, here's the second one, okay? You need to work on your vocabulary. Let me explain this to you. Vocabulary is something you learn. You can improve your, your, just your natural vocabulary. Actually, there are wonderful programs and apps that you can get to improve your vocabulary, just in a, in a general sense. If you learn another language, one of the things you learn is not only how to conjugate the verbs, but you want to get plenty of vocabulary so that when you're, you're in that country, you know how to describe things, what, what to call certain things. You need vocabulary. Here's the problem when it comes to relationships. We, don't, we have not developed very good relationship vocabulary. We don't know how to talk to one another when it comes to issues and situations of life. We don't have very good vocabulary with one another. I'll give you an example of bad vocabulary. If I were to go to my wife and I'm frustrated about something and I say these words to her, you always do this to me. 
As soon as I say that, what do you think she heard? What one word out of the entire sentence did she hear? What word? Always. So now suddenly, she's clicking around in her mind how many times she hasn't done that, okay? Creating a defense to describe for me the many times she has not done the very thing that I've just accused her of because I used one vocabulary word and that word was always and then we end up in an argument not about the issue but about always. No, I don't do that always. Yes, you do always. No, I don't. Yes, I do. Just back and forth. Okay, Are you with me? You're laughing because you've been there. Some of you were doing that in the parking lot on the way in this morning. Okay, It's like... You're always late for church. No, I'm not. Not always, okay? One time last year, I made it on time. Yeah. All I want you to see is is the choice of a word, see? Now, let's, let's just change it up for a moment. If I were to say to her something like this, Honey, you know, I'm feeling a little bit frustrated about something. This happens. It feels like it happens from time to time. I don't really understand it well. I want to understand it better. And can we talk about this just for a moment so I have a better understanding of this particular issue? Same conversation. What's the outcome? Which of those two is likely to get me a chocolate cake? <laughs> Are you with me? Okay. Certainly not the first one, but the second one. And it was what changed? What changed? What one thing changed? My vocabulary. That's all. I learned a different way to say something. And I promise you, if you go to, if you go to a different, uh, different nation, a different part of the world that speaks a different language from me, you better learn the vocabulary. Because if you don't, you're going to ask from some really dumb stuff. <laughs> I hope I can remember the story. I was in Peru many years ago. And I was helping. We had a dentist down there, and we were doing some dental work. Um, I hope I get this word right. Okay. Yeah, I think I got it now. And so I, I'm helping the dentist, okay? And there's a little boy in the dentist chair and he's getting his teeth pulled, okay? And the dentist is trying to get him to, to bite down on some gauze because it was bleeding very badly. And the dentist didn't know any Spanish. And I didn't know a whole lot of Spanish, but I thought I knew one word, okay? in Spanish that would help me in that situation, okay? And so I'm, we're trying to get the boy calmed down, having to bite down on some gauze. He's in the chair. He's all nervous. He's all upset. And I'm standing over him saying, Muerte, muerte, muerte. <laughs> if you don't know what that means, that means you die. You die. You die, okay? <laughs> it's one letter off from where day, Okay? which means bite down, okay? Are you with me, okay? So the difference between muerte and muerte was a whole lot of anxiety for one little kid, okay, right? I'm trying to figure out, why is he going crazy? Every time I say muerte, he's like, ah! He was sure he was going to be killed in that chair, okay? So your vocabulary matters, amen, okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, be careful, it matters. Go and tell that kid it matters, okay? So your vocabulary, we're going to talk more about that in the next few weeks. Here's the last thing. So work on this, right? This is a skill. You're not born with this, okay? And then the skill of self-control. Self-control is a skill that you learn. 
It's learning how to put the brakes on your emotions. And by the way, you can do this. Self-control is not letting things get out of control, okay? Now, you cannot control someone else, but you can control you. So self-control is putting the brakes on you. I want to give you perhaps the deepest thing that I'm going to give you today, okay? Great theological truth that I'm about to share with you. I hope you'll write it down, remember it, take it home with you. When you're in a situation that becomes emotional and intense in any relationship of your life, here's the theological truth to remember. Are you ready for this? Save the drama for your mama. There you go. Because here's what we do. We, we create all this drama. Because here, why? I'm going to show you why. Because we're trying to make a point. Okay? And we want to make sure the other person understands how serious this is for us. And so we're going to get a, go, a golden globe getting this out. We're going to communicate in such a way that we know for sure they get this. And so we heighten the emotion and we heighten the drama and, and we lose the self-control. And before long, everything is spinning out of control in the interaction. And that's when real problems happen. That's when words are spoken that you can't take back later. That's when a dagger is put into the heart of another person and blood is left emotionally and you wonder, what's wrong with this relationship when you just killed it with your words? You just, you just stabbed that person in the heart the way you said what you said and they just stabbed you and you're both left bleeding because you weren't able to or you chose not to exercise self-control. Look at these verses and with this we're done. Fools have short fuses and explode all too quickly. The prudent quietly shrug off insults. Why? Because of self-control. Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to do what? Conquer a city. To conquer a city is to win the fight. It's better to have self-control than to win some of your arguments. Amen? And the last one I'll mention here is this. Losing self-control leaves you as helpless as a city without a wall. When you lose your self-control, you lose the protectiveness around surrounding your life and the adversary is able to play upon your emotions and affect your relationships. Put a big old comma right there and next weekend we're going to continue together in this theme of communication and relationships. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, we thank you for your word today. We ask that you take, Lord, your word that's been spoken today and bring it to our hearts. Let it help us to live our lives the way that you'd want us to. Give us the power of the Holy Spirit to do so. We ask it in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's son. 
I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.